This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome back to another episode of the U.S. Naval Institute's From the Deck Plates podcast, where we dive into topics that explore perspectives, opinions, and the experiences of a variety of enlisted naval professionals. I'm your host, Paul Kingsbury, retired fleet mass chief and co-director of outreach for the U.S. Naval Institute. Today, I'm excited to welcome my guest, retired senior chief Jim Murphy. So Jim isn't a recent author, but he has been a prolific writer in the pages of proceedings, especially back in the mid-early 2000 time period. Senior Chief Murphy transferred to the Fleet Reserve on December of 2008 after 21 years of active service, and he served his entire career in the cryptologic community and was a qualified submariner. So one of my side projects is building and maintaining an anthology of sorts of enlisted articles and podcasts, and I'm actually back to about 1999 now. And from my count, Jim, and you can correct me later on this, I, from that point, Jim had been published over 82 times since at least 1999. So that's a huge amount. I don't think anyone comes close to that, whether you're officer, enlisted, or civilian, getting published that much. And of significance to me is that in June of 2009, he wrote the first what would become From the Deck Plates column article titled Join the Debate. And from there, he became a regular proceeding, quote-unquote, columnists through about early 2016. So Jim has been a great source of insight for me as I rolled into this new job at the Naval Institute, and I know throughout time that he was on active duty, and since he's been retired, he's been an outstanding ambassador for the U.S. Naval Institute. So Jim, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. How are things with you, and what's been going on these days? Well, thanks a lot, Paul. I appreciate it. Well, three years ago, my uh, longtime girlfriend and I got married, and we're enjoying kind of semi-retirement and looking forward to an early full-time retirement, but... Still working and uh, haven't been writing really in a while, um, but it's something I, I still think about. You know, I look back and I'll talk about those articles, but definitely I think since uh, probably late 2015 when you wrote the last article, Welcome to the Debate, I think that was your closer of the From the Deck Plates edition, but I haven't seen you much. But that's okay. We have plenty of enlisted naval professionals that are writing and have taken up that those pages in that From the Deck Plates column, and we'll talk about that a little more. So, Jim, you know, one of the responsibilities, I don't know if it's written, official or not, I know it's in the CPO Mission, Vision, and Guiding Principles, is as this keeper, guardian, champion of naval and enlisted history and heritage. And I frankly brought that responsibility with me to my work with the U.S. Naval Institute. So this work I've been doing, dying, diving into our archives, has been very illuminating to me, and many times it's very inspiring as well. So... Just as officers like Nimitz, Luce, Mahan, and Stavridis have been significant figures from the wardroom in our Naval Institute history, there are key influencers on the enlisted side. And the first one I always talk about is MMC Richard McKenna. He was the first uh, winner of the Enlisted Prize Essay Contest back in 1958 for his article, The Post-War Chief Petty Officer, A Closer Look. We've had Mass Chief Petty Officers of the Navy, Mass Chief Petty Officers of the Coast Guard writing. 
but there are others that contribute in very significant ways. And from my perspective, you're one of those enlisted thought leaders and champions of the U.S. Naval Institute. We all get introduced to the Naval Institute in different ways. So where I want to start with your story is tell us about when and how you first got introduced to the U.S. Naval Institute. Uh, so actually, back in 2001, I was serving at Headquarters Recruiting Command down in Millington, and I saw a notification about the Enlisted Essay Contest. And I, I think it was in the plan of the week, actually, for the command. And I wrote an article, uh, submitted it, and uh, got a, won a prize. And that's what got me submitting articles. So I participated in the contest a couple other times and uh, got a couple more prizes. And one thing just led to another. Yeah, it's similar to my exposure. I didn't start with the essay contest. I don't know if I was necessarily aware of those. But you know, I was command master chief of the Naval Safety Center. The deputy commander at the time was a Marine Corps Colonel Glenn Butler, and we would do our follow-up huddle meetings, you know, after talking to the admiral, and we'd go out there and, you know, debate things back and forth or just talk about what was going on. And then he just said one time, he's like, have you ever thought of writing an article for Proceedings Magazine? And I was like, what is Proceedings Magazine? And uh, I submitted my first article. Uh, it was about new power cheating, and then that got published. And then from there, I learned about the essay contest, and like you Submitted essays, one, uh, you know, placed in the general prize essay contest and the enlisted prize essay contest. And from there, it was all on. I ended up on the editorial board and other stuff. So clearly, writing was the catalyst for a lot of our involvement in the Naval Institute. So what was that first article titled, and what prompted you to write that for the essay contest? Uh, my first article was called uh, No More Catchphrases, Please. I guess what really got me going was just how we seem to have a lot of catchphrases for leadership, and none of them are really new concepts or just different ways of talking about traditional, good, solid leadership. And I think it was the appreciative inquiry part of the, it was like TQL, which was a focus on focusing on the good things. But I think in a lot of ways, it it took us away from focusing on where we had to improve. And it was just one of those things that I didn't like that I saw going on, and uh, I thought this was a good opportunity to write about it. And uh, that was that. And that's kind of the principle I followed, you know, in the rest of my articles was just things that mostly things I didn't like are the things I wrote about. Yeah. And to try to drive some kind of change or improvement. So what was the response to that first article? Did you get any feedback or just kind of just besides the the win for the contest, did you get kind of any peer feedback or any leadership feedback? Well, I, I did, actually. There was a nice comment written by uh, Vice Admiral Dunn, uh, who had been an editor of the magazine. And then there was another Vice Admiral, I, I don't remember his name, who approached me at the award ceremony. And um, I was on active duty, and this was, of course, you know, my first time in this huge group. And this vice admiral came up to me outside the event and mentioned that the chief of naval operations really liked that program that I just criticized. And I wasn't really sure what to say. So I was just like, well, sir, I disagree with him. And that was it. You know, I never heard anything negative or had any backlash from it at all. So, but, you know, that little quick interaction, it really gave me pause. And I was wondering, I'm like, okay, what's, what's next? And I was happy to, that there was never a next, you know, that was, that was it. Yeah. You know, I look back through my list and through 2003, you had an article published, you know, expand education for sailors. 
Um, you had a couple others, and then you made Senior Chief, and then you were published a couple more times over a few years. And then the next step is in 2009, and I think it's June, this article called Join the Debate. And that's when we established that from the deck plate column. So talk to us a little bit about how that journey came out. How did you become this author for that column of from the deck plates? Uh, it was kind of a funny thing is at one of the award ceremonies I went to, and I think it was that very first one, I got to have lunch with uh, Vince Patton and Vince and I stayed in touch, uh, you know, here and there over the years. And then at one point I had submitted an article and I didn't hear anything for the longest time. I submitted for the essay contest, not knowing the essay contest had been suspended. Okay. So I asked about the article and they said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll hang on to it and, you know, keep it and maybe publish it later. And I didn't hear anything for a year. So I got in touch with Vince because he was a president of the editorial board. Uh, so that ended up getting published and then. When Mick Pond Tampa left office, they gave me a call and they asked me to write an article about that. So I did that. And then it was just a few months after that, I think, you know, working in a skiff, I didn't have my cell phone all day. So I come out after work and I have a voicemail from Vince. And he said, um, so we had an editorial board meeting and uh, the editor and I, that was Bob Timberg at the time, we decided we'd like to have a an enlisted column in the magazine, I told him you'd do it, give me a call. Oh, yes. So I was like, well, this is one of those opportunities to excel, I guess. And, you know, I really couldn't say no because it was a, a unique opportunity and I had a ton of respect for Vince. And, you know, I called him. I said, hey, you know, you want an enlisted article. I'm retiring. He goes, no, that's what we want. We want somebody who is recently retired so that, you know, they feel a little more freedom to speak their mind. And, and just talk about, you know, controversial things or, or whatever you want to talk about. But if you want to be controversial, that, you know, you don't have to worry about that being on active duty. So that's how we got started. Yeah. So Vince, that's another person I think that's of significance for U.S. Naval Institute. Cause like you said, leadership on the editorial board. And then eventually he was on the actual U.S. Naval Institute board. I keep in frequent contact with Vince as well. Again, just like when I first got the job and talked to you, I talked to Vince to just get an awareness of this U.S. Naval Institute story and the enlisted involvement in it. So this is uh, this is pretty cool, again, to be able to talk to you. And uh, I'm glad you talked about Vince because, yeah, he wouldn't voluntold you unless he knew you had the capability. So, um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit later about that piece that you just talked or that point you just made about this hesitancy to challenge while on active duty. Um, but for now, when I was going through this, uh, preparing for this, back in 2000, a piece was written called Nobody Asked Me But, right? And I don't think back then that was an actual targeted column. It is now. But it was called Chiefs are Professionals, and it was written by Mashie Delta Henson. And you also wrote several things that were kind of in line with this, too. Like you wrote that article, Speak Up, again, talking about the importance of the forum. That was back in 2011. Your first one was about joining the debate. In 2015, you closed out again with Welcome to the Debate. So this kind of challenging, not just chiefs, but enlisted naval professionals with the awareness of the Naval Institute and the power of writing. So in his piece, Delta speaks to the kind of lack of awareness within the CPO mess of the U.S. Naval Institute forum and proceedings. So what were your observations of the visibility of proceedings in the cheese mess back then? I think the the feeling was that the Naval Institute was an officer's organization. And I heard that a lot of times, you know, well, why are you writing for an officer's magazine? And I'm like, well, it's not an officer's magazine. It's for everybody. It's just 
that officers are the ones who seem to participate the most. So, you know, a lot of the reason for the from the deck plates column was to get enlisted people involved and get the enlisted perspectives into the debate and into discussions about all these topics in the Navy. And I think in some ways there's still some perception that it's traditionally an officer's uh, organization and publication. And, you know, I don't know if that's because of who participates or because it's at the Naval Academy, so it's seen as an officer thing. But I was happy when I stopped writing from the deck plates, although I was honored to, you know, be the guy that got to write the column every month. I was happy to see that they use the column for a variety of enlisted writers because that helped encourage more because it, it seemed like the enlisted essay contest was the one time a year we really want to hear from the enlisted folks. So having a dedicated enlisted column with a variety of officers, I think was a great idea. Yeah. But there's still, there's still a lot of enlisted sailors that are unaware of the organization and unaware of proceedings. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think the awareness is growing. I mean, I try to do as much as I can, not just with email outreach and social media outreach and stuff like that, but definitely, you know, you can get into closed Facebook pages. You can champion not just articles, but contests. You know, my opportunity to get in front when it, you know, when it's in residency up to the senior enlisted academy and other senior enlisted leadership courses and just provide insight on the Naval Institute all helps. I can tell you, I agree though. Ever since uh, we opened that from the deck plates up, the trends and the numbers, I just don't track the articles, but the numbers on average, there was about 10 to 13 articles published by enlisted Naval professionals up to 2015. Obviously, you were doing one once a month in your column, but then in 2016, we're at 20. And then ever since then, the trends have gone up, and I think last year we had over 40 articles or blog pieces on the blog published by enlisted naval professionals. So I know that uh, the word is out there, and a lot of people hear about articles and things like that. But I do find myself continuing to talk about, you know, hey, here's what the Naval Institute is. Here's what it's for. It's not officer stuff. But that's just not, I don't think, that's not just you know, retired mass chiefs and senior chiefs and those on active duty to promote, right? The wardroom has a role in that too, right? So, you know, helping bring that message of what proceedings is or starting a conversation with an article they see with their either command mass chief, division chief or anything like that, or their divisions, frankly, I think is a great way they can use the information, the Naval Institute to help raise awareness, but to also bring that information to life into the fleet. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with junior officers and, and sailors, and they talk about issues in the Navy and the fact that they can't change anything. And I always encourage them to write an article. I'll send them a link to uh, the Naval Institute so they can look and see what's in there, so they can find out what the process is. And sometimes I'll send them a link to something I've written that might be related to their their concern. So I try to encourage people that have ideas, whether I agree with them or not, but that people who are really concerned with making improvements and changes in the service to, you know, to write an article because it is a way to get an idea in front of a lot of people and a lot of very powerful people in leadership positions. Um, and, and some, some have done it, but a lot you know, have not. And I, I still think there's a fear, you know, of career impact. And as far as I'm aware, there, there's really no evidence to support a negative career impact on people who've written well thought out 
article, you no. know, because the editors do a good job, obviously, of, you know, avoiding any kind of personal attacks or, or anything, you know, overly negative that's inappropriate to the forum. So I, I wish more people with good ideas would, you know, submit more. Yeah, I agree. Right. So it's been my experience, too. And I've I've gone out and I've encouraged writers. Or I've had people come to me and ask me about, you know, articles and send me drafts. And one of my points is, hey, our editors are not going to put you in a bad spot, right? We don't want to ruin our reputation either. So our editors do do a great job to make sure the tone is right without sacrificing the point you're trying to make. And you can see in the titles, if you go back through the archives and look, the titles are definitely have that dare factor, right? We are looking for the dare factor too. We want that issue that's challenging, that's pushing, or that's an actual needs to be said. And, and, and to your point, this stuff is being talked about on the smoke pit. It's being talked about in the cheese mess, right? Um, it's just finding those people that are willing to put those thoughts down in paper. I get it. Social media is easy, right? To just blast something on social media. But if you have to come down and, and put some thought into an article, it's worth it though, because the reach that the Proceedings Magazine and the U.S. Naval Institute brings is huge, right? These articles get in front of policy and political leaders, significant naval leaders, obviously, and senior enlisted leaders. And I can tell you, based on my experience in this job, those things get in front of policy leaders and they are talking about certain articles. A sailor wrote an article recently about, you know, the quality of life in the barracks. I know that got some SAS staffer attention and drove a conversation with Naval Installations Command leadership based on that article. So back to honor, courage, commitment, right? Have the honor, have the courage and be committed, but we provide that forum for you. So so back to this piece of chiefs or professionals, I agree with the point you made, right? Hey, this officer stuff, not anymore, right? I can't buy that argument anymore. We are, as you know, you watched the enlisted force evolve over your time and now much more educated, the shift to the all volunteer force, implementation of tuition assistance and the GI Bill, you know, we have sailors coming in now enlisting with a master's degree. So this kind of intellectual separation between officers and enlisted, I think, is a misplaced argument. And I'll go back at that all day. I am not a fan when I hear people say I have a PhD, public high school diploma. I think that speaks to backwardsness and, and a move away from this intellectual space. And I think chiefs need to be in it and champion it. I think we are getting better at that. And I think a lot of it is just simple awareness. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I recently changed careers, so and I'm I'm back in a operational command, and I've been kind of blown away by the amount of work that people have these days, and and the amount of programs they have to track, and the obligations they have with a lot of administrative requirements. And I say that because I think folks are super busy, and I don't think when they go home for the afternoon after they've taken care of all this administrative stuff, they really want to sit down and write an article. But for me, that was kind of my driver, was the frustration. So that that's what worked for me. You know, if I was frustrated about something, I could write about it and kind of help me work through it and maybe, you know, exercise some of that frustration out. And then turned it into an article. Maybe it's going to help somebody else. So I, I kind of wish people would take whatever frustrations they have, and instead of just complaining about it, they'd actually write an article. And you know, I can't tell you how many times when I was doing a column, people would say, "Hey, you know what you need to write about is," and they'd give me an idea, and I said, "No, that's your idea. That that's your thing. You need to write about it." 
that's not my issue. That's your issue. Please write about that. And unfortunately, a lot of people didn't. And I don't know if it's, you know, the fear of repercussions or uh, not having confidence in their own ability to write. And, you know, I always offered to, you know, edit or, or review somebody else's stuff. I said, Hey, if you don't think you can write, just get your ideas down. I'll help you get it better and make you more confident about it to su- submit it for publication. I don't know. I, I just don't think there's a lot of people who are inspired to write. And I, I'm not sure why it is. Right? It's probably, you know, very personal for each one of them, the reasons. But I, I just wish more people would, would turn that frustration into a, a well thought out and argued article so that we could all talk about it. Yeah. And remember, not everything needs to be about what's going wrong, right? We have a leadership forum. We have professional notes, right? So you can offer feedback on how your raiding community or your warfare community or your command did a certain thing a good way and saw positive results, how they implemented some kind of policy or a new approach to something, right? So it's about the sharing of ideas too. So if, if you're worried about taking on that dare factor, you know, then give us your leadership perspective in the leadership forum. Give us some professional feedback, right, to make the Navy better. That's what this is all about. And to your point, yeah, I can, I've written, I don't know, I, I think I've gotten 10 or 12 articles published or blog pieces, but I'm with you, right? Something will resonate with me of passion and I just start kind of framing it out. I was writing later in my career as a flea mass chief. So I would use my time flying, you know what I mean, or tra- on travel to kind of work my articles. So I think that's a big piece of it is finding the time when you're intellectually charged and you can put those thoughts together outside of all the noise and churn. I'll tell you, you've probably seen it too, you know, on Facebook closed group pages or Reddit. I'll see these well, presented concepts, arguments, ideas, and we're talking like 150-word posts, and I'm like, just pull that over, put it in a Word document, build it a little more, and send it in, and you got an article already written. So by the time you took to write an email or a Facebook post, you could have drafted an article out and submitted it. Right. For me, it was things that I was passionate about. Whatever whatever it was, it was a frustration or, or something positive that I wanted to see it was something I was passionate about or else I wouldn't have written it. And I, I wish people would take their, turn their passion for whatever, a leadership concept that they'd like to see. And I also try to explain to people, you know, if it's something you like or if it's something you really don't like, there's somebody else just like you out there and they want to hear about it and they want to discuss it. So you're, you're not the only one with that frustration. You're probably not the only one who wants to contribute that good idea or concepts around that good idea. You know, the first person that submits the article is the one that really starts that debate. Be that person who starts that debate. If you want it talked about, then take the initiative and get it going. And then we can follow up. I reach out to every enlisted author that's been published and I invite them on to the podcast, right? So we can expand the discussion. Sometimes I'll try to invite leadership on to, to broaden the discussion or to provide some feedback on that perspective. Not that they'll agree with it, not that they'll disagree, but at least they can offer another point or another perspective to that discussion. So, yeah. So one other piece I'm thinking about when I talk about, you know, and I know we're focused on cheese mess per se right now, but I think sometimes the cheese mess is hyper focused on the cheese mess and they fail to recognize the value of these other professional organizations, right? And to this point of chiefs being professionals, you're not just a professional chief petty officer, you're in the profession of arms, 
you're in the profession of your raiding community, you're in the profession of your warfare community. So beyond the Naval Institute as a place to be a professional thought leader or to offer feedback as a professional in the Navy, in a raiding community, whatever, or in the Marine Corps and Coast Guard, frankly, there's other things, right? Surface Navy Association, Tailhook, all these other things. Like I think there was a point like you made, I don't know, you know, back if I went back 30, 40, 50 years ago, the doors weren't necessarily open for enlisted to be in those things. They were officer organizations. Um, so this is where you start see things like FRA spin up and your know, non-commissioned officers association, you know, these enlisted groups. But now those doors, those organizations are opening the doors because they see the value of that perspective and bringing that membership in. So look beyond the cheese mess, look beyond your command, you know, networks and realize the values in these organizations such as the Naval Institute. I think that's another piece. So I've read many of your articles. Definitely as I go through, I'm like at least scanning them for the content. And there's many favorites out there. I mean, I could just list all kinds of them, but you got, you know, Chief or E7, rub a little dirt into it, um, recognize training excellence, the good bad of 360 degree feedback, um, treat them like adults. A lot of things you wrote about, I can take these articles and just bring them forward and restart that conversation. So that's one reason I like this archive thing. But what is your most favorite article you wrote and why is that your favorite? Well, you named off actually some of my favorites, I think. To this day, one of my sons, whenever something happens, he goes, I know, Dad, rub a little dirt in it. Yeah. Um, so that one's driven him nuts for years. Uh, I think my favorite probably is uh, Bring Back Humility, which was kind of modified version of a book chapter I wrote, because I, I got to talk about some of my favorite people in that. Okay. And I think humility is an important leadership quality and something I think we lost um, in the you know Chiefs training. And something I, I still think we need to bring back. But that was one that was a whole lot of fun to write because of the way the book chapter came about and, and then modifying it for proceedings. Okay. Yeah, you wrote that one. That was in, published in June of 2012, that From the Deck Plates article, if anyone's interested in that one. We talked about your favorite. Which one do you think was most controversial and why? I don't know. I, I made a lot of people angry with different ones. I know I made some Marines angry when I... Uh, it's called uniform for a reason. And I talked about the Marine Corps trademarking their uniforms. I got a lot of feedback on one I wrote about sexual assault, not being part of our culture. Um, maybe the one that was the most controversial was, um, toxic leaders, bullies in our ranks, which I, I actually co-wrote with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. We had fun writing that one together. And I think it was very important because I think toxic leadership and humility are, are related. Toxic leaders are not humble leaders, and those with humility are typically not bullies. So that was one I, I got quite a bit of feedback on because, I mean, it, I was talking about, uh, you know, a captain who'd been fired. So it was, I think, personal for some people. So that one led to quite a bit of discussion. Yeah, that one was in February of 2014. Again, the From the Deck Plates article. Yeah, and I think that still resonates, right? We've had recent podcast articles, not just in proceedings, but Navy Times articles, which sailors are challenging the chief's mess and their leadership approaches. Not all, obviously, right? But perceived or actual last lack of trust in the chief's mess. So to your point, this concept of humility and toxic leadership discussions are enduring. I bet you we could go back to early 1900s and, and that stuff still applied. And, you know, it's certainly not about the chief's mess. It's... You know, at least not solely, 
right? I mean, we have these examples everywhere. They're in the chief's mess or in the ward room. They're in the organizations of the other services. They're in our civilian workforce. So um, those are important things because, you know, they impact the morale of the force so much. And I think it's something that senior leaders need to continue to address. A bullying type leader is really ineffective and counter to what we should be doing. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. And last one I want from one of these. So ideally, when people write and dare, they're hoping to make a difference, right? And that's one of the things I champion, right? Hey, dare to disrupt, dare to make a positive difference. We don't write just to disrupt and, you know, just disparage people, right? And the editors won't accept that kind of stuff, right? It's got to be written with an argument, with suggestion, that standard thing we always said when we were active duty, right? If you got to, if you're going to propose or bring up a problem, propose a solution. So, did any of these or which one had the biggest impact on policy discussion or a policy change or helping reinforce a policy change? You know, I can't really say that anyone had that impact. I, I know over the years I've seen changes in the Navy and go, hey, I wrote about that years ago. And the one that I think for me it was about education and creating a Navy and Marine Corps college, which now we have a Naval Community College or something. So it, it took many years, and I don't can't claim that my article had anything to do with it. But you know, that's one that something I wrote an argument about that ended up happening later on. So I was very gratified to see the change. I certainly don't claim any credit for that change happening, but so I, I can't really say if there was a policy change based on anything I wrote, but maybe it helped inform a leader who was working on something. Yeah, I got that feedback from one of my admirals that I worked with once. You know, we just had one of those sidebars, you know, over coffee one Saturday morning. And I was like, hey, what is your perspective of the feedback I give you? He's like, no matter whether I agree or disagree or not, I get one of, you know, a few things out of it. Number one, either your perspective reinforces something I'm already thinking. Number two, you bring up something I haven't thought about. Or number three, you bring up a counterpoint that gets me to change my decision, right? So you might be thinking other people and senior leaders aren't thinking this stuff. But I'm telling you, in many cases, you're going to see that your article might be the thing they can reach to to back up a policy decision they're trying to make. And to your point, Jim, I'll go back to MMC Richard McKenna's piece that he wrote, the post-war chief petty officer, a closer look. He talked about – back then, we only had E7 pay grade right at the time. He talked about the the, coming out of World War II, there were so many chief petty officers that you know ships were overmanned with them. There was no place to put them. Physically, right? They had lack of rack space. Uh, and then professionally, career progression was limited. You basically had chiefs bucking over chiefs, right, for positional authority. There was no shortage of assignments for them. And to your point, 10 years later, what happens? Congress establishes, you know, basically a board and they, they make the decision to establish the E8 and E9 pay grade. So was Richard McKenna the guy who championed that? No, but I think he reflected and was able to put that problem into writing. And I guarantee that got in front of policymakers and decision makers at the political and policy level and helped drive that conversation that would expand our enlisted structure years later. So I think to your point, you may not see the impacts now, but I think you're writing about something and people are writing about something that people are thinking about. So let's get into membership a little bit. We touched on this, right? So why do you think membership with the Naval Institute is valuable to Naval professionals and not just enlisted, right, officers and civilians? And what's your advice to those who read articles but haven't yet made the the leap, quote unquote, to joining or becoming a member of the Naval Institute? Uh, You know, that's pretty interesting. 
I joined honestly because I won a year's membership with the essay contest. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that's how I became a member. Back then, you had to be a member to get the magazine. So, you know, I think that the membership, there, there's some benefits from it. And obviously, you know, discounts on books and you get the magazines and whatnot. But I, I think the membership helps keep you involved and, and makes you feel like part of the organization. And of course, some of the events you do out in the fleet concentration areas, um, you know, learning about these things and, and, you know, certainly as, as a member, I, I seem to, I feel like I'm kept more up to date on what's happening with the organization and the opportunities to participate in events like this or, you know, the events out in San Diego or Norfolk and, and things like that. Yeah, I think uh, you touched on one of the big things is same with me, right? Again, I didn't know what the Naval Institute was. I got published and I got, you know, my free membership. But then once I got exposed and I started, I got Proceedings Magazine. And yes, Proceedings Magazine is still one of the member benefits, right, to get that access to the information. But that's what you're really getting is access to information to stay informed, to see what's going on or to use as a leader, right? Information is power, but it's what you do with information as a leader. So your access to all these archives all these articles to bring back to work, to bring to your teams and spark discussions or to help bring new ideas into the team is important. As you know, I think you also get access to people right through organizations like this, especially when we host things like West or other member events where, you know, we bring some heavy hitting speakers and, and people that only members can get access to discounts on books and those kind of things. But I think it also helps us support our mission uh, and it keeps the forum alive. So membership is our lifeblood, right? So without members, right, we don't exist. Yeah, I, I've met an amazing group of people through the membership and through my writing. You know, Fred Rainbow, Vince Patton, Bob Timber, Paul Merslack, and of course Dennis Clift, who I, I don't know if he's still on the staff he up is. there, but I I met him through that one of my art. You know, just amazing, brilliant, very interesting people. Going to some of the events, the award ceremonies, I, I got to meet some great people. And obviously, you don't have to, that award ceremony is part of the annual meeting. So you don't have to win an award to go participate and, and meet some of these people. So, you know, the folks that I consider, uh, friends and mentors, I, I still think, uh, Vince, think of Vince as a, a mentor to this day. And, uh, hey, I met you through this organization as well. So. I mean, it's, it's been great. I, I have nothing negative to say, certainly about being a member of the organization. It's, it's only been positive. Awesome. So what's your assessment of the forum today? I mean, I know you're still involved. You're still reading. What do you like or what would you like to see improved? Yeah, you know, I, I don't read as much as I used to. Um, I still go through. I like to read the enlisted articles mostly. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of wonderful articles in there about strategy and and things like that that's kind of not my my forte you know i'm kind of a leadership and policy guy and that's what i like to focus on before we started this you and i discussed you know the west's event out in san diego yeah i honestly like to see the the naval institute do events in other locations. There's a huge Navy population here in Pensacola. It's a beautiful place to come have a conference, you know, because I, unfortunately when I retired in Pensacola and pretty far from DC and San Diego, I, you know, not been able to participate 
in those events, you know, because I'm sitting down here in Pensacola working. So I, I'd love to see some of those events expanded occasionally to other locations. Tons of naming Great Lakes and Norfolk and Pensacola and you know all the places. And yeah. I'd like to see some events in other locations to help get people involved. All right, Jim, any last thoughts for our listeners? Uh, and then are you, I know you said you haven't written You know, hopefully maybe this inspired you, but would you be planning to write anything else soon? I don't know, maybe uh, one of the folks who was really most supportive of my column was also I met because he read my articles and Captain Mike Lambert, who's a cryptologist and he had been a proceedings author in the past. He's encouraged me to take some of my articles and try to put those together in a book in some format. So that's something I talk about, think about. And, you know, I'd also, because, you know, leadership is kind of what I'm focused on. I have an outline for a leadership book that I've considered. So I don't know, maybe one of these days I'll decide to find the time. I, I just haven't really found the time and something at some point is going to inspire me to go do it. You know, that's what I hope for other people who are sitting around with a good idea that something will inspire them to actually put it on paper and, and send it into the Naval Institute because no matter what they have to say, there's somebody out there in one of the maritime services waiting to hear it and then comment on it and engage and start a debate. So Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a great note to finish up the reach and the influence that you can wield well outside your normal day-to-day scope of influence is, again, another reason to consider writing. Yeah. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this From the Deck Plates episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Again, my guest has been retired Senior Chief Jim Murphy. Jim, thanks for your ambassadorship. Thanks for your thought leadership over the years. And thanks for using USNI Forum to dare to make a difference over the years. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. To our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Proceedings Podcast. And leave us your thoughts and comments in the episode description. And keep an eye out for my To the Deck Plates newsletter, which is our USNI newsletter where I highlight the contributions of enlisted naval professionals to the forum, offer you sneak peek articles from the archive that are for, by, and about enlisted naval professionals, or offer unique promotions. I'll put that link in the episode description, so sign up today with that link. Until next time, I dare you to read, think, speak, and write to make a positive difference. And as always, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.